Welcome to Finding Emo, our podcast about our favorite albums from the early aughts and thereabouts. I'm Blake Fisher. I'm joined by Chris Monier and Kyle Simmons. And uh, we are legally obligated as podcasters to ask you to subscribe to us on iTunes. I think Tim Cook actually sends assassination squads out (laughs) and murders us in front of our families if we don't. They'll beat us with iPods. Please don't let that happen. Yeah, and just to be clear, it's not that you have to subscribe to us to avoid us getting assassinated. It's that we have to ask you to do it. Yep. Right? So do it, though. That'd be great. And review us if you like it. Thanks for listening. Today we're talking about Blink-182, Enema of the State, 1999 album. It's funny that we've now kicked this podcast off with two 1999 albums. Yeah, I was just thinking We about say it's about that. the 2000s, but it count, it's close enough. It's fine. These were the primers. I agree. We got things... Primed the old pump. Yeah, this kind of got, got everything going. So, Chris, uh, you researched this. By research, I mean we mostly look on Wikipedia, but still, tell us facts about Blink-22's Enemy of the State. Well, first of all, let me just paint a a mind picture with my words, (laughs) if you will. Please do. I don't know about you guys, but this record for me, I I, I think I went to CD, was it CD Warehouse? Was it Blockbuster Music? What was it by then? It changed a bit. It was probably it was, CD Warehouse still in yeah. 1999. Yeah, yeah but occasionally they would they would stay open. I think records came out on Tuesdays. And they'd Back stay in the day. open until yeah, Tuesdays. They would stay till midnight. And I it went, was awesome. Right. I went and picked this one up. Um, I remember, because I wasn't like a huge Blink-Way 2 fan. Dude Ranch was all right, but mm. the goofy thing, you know. Yeah. I, I, it, Shtick, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't my thing. I mean, yeah. that, that, uh, but but the, the single Damn It I, I thought was pretty cool. I liked the record all right, but. Dude, I I can't I can picture right now like getting in my car and playing the CD for the first time. Is this the Toyota? The <laughs> this would be a Toyota? Maxima. Oh, the Maxima. Yeah, okay. I had a six disc changer. I don't know That's what. Right, it was a Maxima. I don't I don't know what this guy took out to to get ready for for Blake Wedding Two. Got swapped out for a while. And I don't. I I think the reason I was excited about the records because what's my age again had been playing on the radio and it was just completely different than you know some of the other tunes they had. Um, but man, so just to talk about. You know what these guys were doing. They they made Dude Ranch. It was a pretty big record. It wasn't was it giant for them. Um, but this was their when they got their first big boy budget. So they actually um, they actually went into a studio just to kind of lay down the tracks to start getting ready to write some of the songs. Um, and at the time they were just starting to kind of part ways with their old drummer, right, Scott Rayner. Which for forever they didn't talk about why. No, now they're kind of open and now they're kind of open about. I guess he had a drinking problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and which I think that was cool of them to not talk about for like twenty years, essentially, it, and just be like, "It seems yes." You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I thought the same thing when I read that. They're very unmodern of them. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it'd be impossible to word? probably hide something I, like it, that now. But I like it. Yeah. Anyway, that was something I found. Well, but, but what I thought was cool about it was that they they really did try to make it an amicable separation. Yeah. And, the best thing they did was they just decided not to talk about. Worked out really well for Blink-182. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, th- there's a story of the tour where Travis first played drums with them. He was playing for the Aquabats. Right. And he learned their set in 20 minutes. And he came out there. And the guys from the Aquabats, they said they were standing on the side of the stage. And they were like, this is the new Blink-182. I mean, they could just yeah. feel the moment. It's a huge Huge difference, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. He we go, he went from being Baron Von Tito in the Aquabats <laughs> know, so to Travis Barker. <laughs> what? I mean, where did they find him? So I, I haven't gone back, but he's just 
I mean, dude, he's just insane. It was destined for yeah. greatness. It was just yeah. a matter of who grabbed him first. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, or I mean, second, we, apparently. I'll come yeah. first. <laughs> yeah, we could we could spend this whole podcast talking about Travis Barker. Probably. I mean, he is. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk more about his influence on this I album. Mean, I'm sure. But. And it, and it's and it is the difference between. I mean, there's lots of differences, but between but Dude that's Ranch a and big one, this one, yeah. Right. It, yeah. Now the other big difference is the producer Jerry Finn. So mm-hmm. they, um, before the album, before they really started produ- production and um, you know laying down tracks for the album, um, they actually recorded the song "Mutt" from for the American Pie soundtrack yeah. with Jerry Finn. Right, and this is where I had conflicting uh, Wikipedia information. Okay, and I'm going to tell you. So the Wikipedia, there was one article that said Scott played drums on it. Yeah. I, I don't buy it. No, your when you ears hear it, tell you, you no. That's there's no way true. that's Scott, man. But yeah. here's another. But here's the other. <laughs> it's see, too I didn't. Tight, right? Yes, that's not him. I would say yes, but then here's the other thing: is that first of all, I didn't know that was a separate recording until yes. I read something. They're and then arranged I go to it. exactly the same, but they're, to it, the second. Yes, of, to the second. Like the track time is the exact same as the American Pie soundtrack one. And that one, but you can tell they're not the same song. Right. It's not just a remix either. You can actually tell the snare is different. Yeah. Yeah, the, the snares wound a little tighter. Yeah, um, there's some effects on the drums, like the uh, like some reverb. Yeah, so here's stuff. the conflicting information that I have, is that uh, one part of Wikipedia says that Mark Trombino produced that one oh. for American oh. Pie, and not Jerry Finn. But then there was another thing that said it was Jerry Finn in pre-production, and they did that for the soundtrack. So it's kind of weird. I don't. I literally tried to tweet Mark Hoppus. He didn't write back. Can you believe <laughs> Dang it? it. I, don't. I was like, I just need clarification. Who actually recorded now that you guys have cleared up the Scott Raider thing. We have one. So wait, here's, but here's an interesting. What if we did clarity on the last yeah. episode? Uh, if Mark Trombino goes on to do the whole Enema of the State album, he doesn't do Clarity and never oh. does anything with Jimmy World, maybe, right? Wow. I mean, this is the same timeline. This is 1998 when that Mutt recording is recorded. Whether it was Mark Trombino or Jerry Finn, we don't know. But if it was Mark Trombino and... Isn't that weird? That's weird to weird. think about. So anyway, it, yeah, and both the sources are like cited, but they're someone's wrong, obviously. Yeah. About but that. What we're not wrong about is Scott not playing the drums on. I it. don't think there's a way that he did because it is exactly the same parts. Yeah. And super tight. It's just so much tighter, and that's not you can't time correct that crap back on tape in 1998. No. Couldn't do it. So anyway, interesting. So anyway, so yeah. Uh, so we kind of talked about how the, you know this was their first where MCA Records gave them like a giant budget and they they got to sit down and really work these songs out. Which, by the way, in case people don't know, you could probably <laughs> do an entire thing about Jerry Finn. But Jerry Finn was like the big pop punk producer. He did like Green Day, the Dude, Dookie, yeah. and so I mean he was a he was getting paid a lot of money at that point if he was producing a record. I'm Absolutely, sure. but what what's interesting is. How he kind of goes from that kind of raunchier, rougher sound, and decides that these are the guys that he's going to kind of try this polished, yeah, punk, punk sound out with these guys. Yeah, doesn't hurt that they're all kind of easy on the eyes, you know. I, right. You can kind of see him like probably look at these guys like this. Is maybe where I should try this thing out. I've been thinking about. I think the label really... knew exactly what they were doing. It was like it, it wasn't this cute like random story. It was like we're, we've got a. a time and a moment yeah and i don't think they were like manufactured no like all the other stuff that was happening but it was just like oh this is the perfect band to do this with because i mean i think the addition of travis made them a much better band and yeah they're young fun good looking 
guys and had really good pop songs that just needed a little bit of refinement. And obviously Jerry Finn's a pretty good uh, guy to go to if you're going to make something sound really good. Yeah, absolutely. In 1998, 99. Yep. So they start recording in, in October of 1998. Um, they move on to um, what studio was it? Uh, it was Mad Hatter Studios where in Los Angeles where yeah. um, they actually start tracking the record. Barker does the majority of his drum tracks in eight hours. <laughs> eight hours. The most Insane. legendary drummer I drumming I had ever heard in my life, and to find out that Homeboy did it in One the time. Day. I can barely finish my stuff at work in eight hours. Like, without... <laughs> like, he, did, yeah. he recorded one of the greatest albums in history. Well, and then I also read that they wrote the whole thing in two weeks, too. Oh, yeah, a lot of these songs, like, guys will start talking about they just them. like... Uh, yeah, like, Hoppus will be like, oh, I was watching a movie and you know, pounding this thing out in, like, there's something minutes. interesting about... <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> there's something interesting about, like, an album that, uh, if you write it that condensed... And really record it fairly condensed, too. I mean, it was more spread out than their other recordings. But, like, when you're writing a record in two weeks, it's going to be pretty cohesive, probably. Because yep. you're not going to, like, be all over the map in that two-week period of time. Ah, fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but that's pretty that's pretty good talent to knock out the songwriting in two weeks and then knock out the drums in eight hours. And, again, as we talked about with the Clarity one, they did this all to, like, 32 tracks of tape. And so there's just not the room for error, which is why... Travis Barker probably makes a bigger difference in 1998, 99 than he does today because you can just time correct all that and you can replace all the sounds and you can make any drummer sound good with drum machines, essentially. and, And in this genre, especially at that time, all of us, when we heard it, were like, no, it was, whoa. Specifically, that intro to Mutt was the thing that, I think I heard exactly. first yeah. That's why I'm like, and was just like, oh my gosh, that's a great, I mean, it's just, it's out there. There's no hiding it if it's bad. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's, I think you're right. That seems like it's Travis playing that, but I mean, it, or it could have been Scott, like really, I mean, just try with enough I, practice. The, the thing I thought about when, uh, sorry if you're listening, Scott, I'm sure you're not. <laughs> sorry, Scott. I thought like, what I, I pictured like, what if he, pra- he's just like practicing so hard. He's got this one song. He's like, I'm going to make it up to these guys. I've been kind of a jerk and he just plays it perfect. Right. And then, and they're just like, I'm sorry, dude. Sorry, Travis dude. just, he's got really cool tattoos and it's... he can play other songs just as well though. Then it's just, just this one. <laughs> I hope that's not what happened, Scott. Yeah. I hope not too for his sake, but, uh, and I hope. Yeah, oh, choo choo train. Yeah, yeah. You'll hear a train every once in a while on this podcast or a police helicopter because it takes off about 30 feet from my house. So, um, okay. So, this song, yeah, what else? Let's, so let's talk about just how this album opens up with this well, big. Wait. Oh, no. Let's talk about first impressions first because you kind of oh, talked about right. you going and. and yeah, that was my first impression. And anxiously awaiting and buying the record. Yes. Were and there, Kyle, did who, you have first impressions outside of that? Well, Kyle had spent the exact amount of time on this earth up to the moment he heard that record as me because, you know, we're birthday buddies. Unlike right. Blake. I the exact <laughs> <laughs> So how, how, like, was it, how'd you feel? Like, it was kind of crazy, right? It was insane. And like, yeah. and were you big into Blink-22 before Intimate of the State? I was, okay. but, but like, it was just the beginning of my fandom. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, yep. like, yes, I, I liked dude ranch. I'm not like a Buddha or Cheshire cat dude. Um, yeah, there's some songs sound where I like the song, but it sounds production. Sounds real bad. Awful. Yeah. And, um, and so like definitely when I heard this, 
like I, I didn't even need to know that Travis Barker was in it or Baron Von Tito as I knew him then. Uh, like I just knew like Baron Von Tito. We barely knew the <laughs> yeah. Like it it just it just sounded so clean, so tight. It, it just awesome. And also, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he ruined a lot of drummers. Oh yeah, I mean, well, we'll talk. We'll maybe talk about. Uh, let's talk about two things about that. Okay, first is that there are two drummers in 1999 that every drummer is copying: Travis Barker and man whose name escapes me from Dave Matthews Band. Oh, oh Carter, yeah, Buford. Carter, Buford. Carter Buford. Yeah, those are the two. Buford, sorry, those are the two people you. Emulated essentially in 1999. If you're a drummer, for the most and part. mostly not and well, and for some yeah, reason, that, yeah, and not well, yeah, yeah. It's like because the pro- the great thing, Travis Barker is a really good drummer that does a lot all the time. He's very busy, but like if you try to be busy and you're not good, it's just problems. It, oh, sounds it's terrible. So bad. Splash cymbals. Remember how popular splash oh. cymbals were, and like Gibraltar racks <laughs> and all that stuff. So there was uh, some good that came of that for sure. I think there's probably a lot of people that maybe <laughs> got into playing drums because of that. Yeah. But you, you guys my... remember the guy that drummed with me, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was some business, there. <laughs> there was he like, had some all, business. He had all of what you're just describing. Yeah. I so see, I, 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 for good or bad, he inf- I mean Travis Barker was a gigantic influence well, on Well, one thing I, I I liked about Barker though was like for drummers like Kyle just mentioned, yeah. you know, he came in with Four piece kit, two cymbals. He had a little bit of flair on the record, but for the most part, the guy played a jazz kit. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was really yeah, simple. And he true. did all that crap with nothing. Yeah, with yeah. just he, he kind of showed other just drummers precision. like looks listen, you can yeah, you can do a lot with a little. Kinda liked it because it did pull pull in some of what Kyle's talking about. Some some guys were like, Oh, maybe I don't need I can push this china out mm-hmm. and it was the flat cymbals too. That was he brought in. Yeah, it was the right. like everyone had the like horizontal and to the, the vented ground. the vented uh is that what they call it? vented snare? The vented well, snare. Got the, the vented and the piccolo and Orange Soprano County. snares that he did that piccolo snare that's like yeah, three inches deep. Yeah. yeah. Just, just all Machine the gun. attack you could get. Uh okay, so I didn't I knew damn it. Mostly from the Can't Hardly Wait soundtrack, which was a great soundtrack. Yeah, but great movie. movie. Great movie, too. One of my favorites. Uh, and so I knew that song, and then the album came out, and I heard, like, What's My Age Again and stuff, and then, you know, I got it, and I just remember being like, oh, yeah, this is fantastic. And I think, like, what do we think the over-under of percentage of high school white guys that knew every word on this album. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 99, 2000. Uh, it was like everyone I knew knew every lyric of this, of this album. It was like our teenage, it defined at least yeah. I think my high school more than maybe anything, any other album I would say would be an impression. But There was a, man, I wish I could find the quote. I, I, I didn't properly record it, but somebody said, if you, if you take all the people who bought the record all the people who had a CDR, kids, that's a mm-hmm. recordable CD. Oh, my gosh. Um, and just all the places where that record was playing, that every suburban teenager in America probably heard one of those songs sometime between 1998 and, and 2000. I mean, that album was absolutely everywhere. Not to mention, I'm not at all trying – like, I'm saying this as – least pervy as i possibly can <laughs> but this is a time where like an album cover would dictate 
you buying it. Oh, yeah, oh, That's yeah. true. And, yeah. like, they have Nailed a beautiful it. woman on mm-hmm. the cover. Like, I know people that bought it because, because of, of the cover. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, It was just a once again, for me, but... I, I wonder... Just a bonus for me. <laughs> just a bonus. Uh, I do wonder, I mean, like I said, how much the label knew exactly what they were doing. Like, I oh, bet they were like, we want to do that this was calculated. Like, Absolutely, you can use her for the album <laughs> yeah. cover and the music video, please. Yeah. And, you know, I think, and I'm not saying like in a bad way, they just, they knew what they were doing. I read a quote that was like from Tom DeLonge saying they would record the album. I think they were like shot the video or something like that. Maybe they'd released the signal single already, but uh, just said, you guys are going to make more money than you've ever thought of. You're going to be playing arenas before the end of the year. And I guess they just thought this guy was crazy the stuff that he was saying they were going to do because they thought it was good, but they didn't think they were going to like, this was, they hadn't experienced that level of success. And I think the labels knew, but it was for sure. I I do. I think it was the perfect storm though, because it is a great record, but like potty humor had always been their thing. Yep. And like, even like, I think that, (laughs) I think that the artwork is tasteful. Like if you look through it, it fits. It's cool. Them. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. Very All cool the album theme. artwork. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and like the standing in line waiting for a physical. Yeah, she's on the front. It's it's funny. Yeah, and and like just plays into that whole shtick. Although well, to be fair, they they dialed back a lot of. I mean, from Dude Ranch to that, there's none of the like intercut humor stuff, which. I mean, we could have a whole aside of my least favorite thing is punk rock people that think they're funny between tracks and hip hop people that think they're funny between yeah. tracks. It's like, you're not comedians for yeah. a reason. Although they are actually funny. They are funny. Yeah. You know, but like, I was going to say the same thing. Like in, I think inside the liner notes of dude ranch, there's uh, I, I don't remember who's who, but two of them are bathing. One of the guys that's <laughs> naked. Yeah. 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 And I remember as a kid seeing that and be like, Oh man. Jeez. Ew. Yeah. It's like, it's a little much, you know? So, yeah, you're right. They kind of went, they pulled it back a little bit on the on the artwork in on the, Venom of the State. In the right way, so. Yeah, okay, yeah so that was a good call. Any other first impressions of the album before we kind of go track by track? I, I have one more thing to say. Yep. I, I, I think this is interesting because I remember I bought that record and the next weekend or so I had a family trip to Missouri. And this was what I thought was the most interesting is I was always playing punk rock music around my family and they were always rolling their eyes you know because we had a six disc changer so you know you get at least i would pick right right, i would pick a slot my sister would play like little mermaid but i remember playing this record and my stepbrother who was into like i don't know country who cares doesn't matter right (laughs) crap um and he uh when he played this record he's like this is good what is this and i was like what like you, I was almost you, like mad that he liked it, but you don't then, like this. Yeah, you can't. But that was the first moment I was like, okay, there must be something a little different going on here because I'd never. Yeah, he had never liked anything that I played, and he liked it like that right out of the gate. So that that quality that you're talking about that everybody knew, it definitely. Yeah, it, it was instantaneous for most people. Jerry Finn did a good job yeah. with it. All right, let's start. He's with... He's pretty good. He's yeah. pretty good. He's been all right. He's done all right. Bless him. Uh, R.I.P. Yep. Let I know, yeah, really sad. Died in like what two thousand eight, young eight, guy. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, it really is. Um, uh, it, talk about yeah. Anyway, uh, let's do dump weed. I 
cow. Thoughts on Dumpweed? I love it. It's a really good first <laughs> track. I mean, it really sets the tone of the whole thing. It really, the drums, I mean, are the, the first thing I notice are, I mean, comparably to Dude Ranch, it is leaps and bounds as far as just the sounds that are going mm-hmm. on. Not just like, obviously, Travis is a superior drummer. You would have to say that about almost anyone if you replace a drummer in a band. But, I mean, they sound phenomenal. And it's like, you can tell it's like effortless. Yeah. I mean, you can tell it's like, yep. he just went in there in eight hours. This was, I mean, it's an 11, 12 track album. I mean, what? So this was 30 minutes of his day was this song, maybe. Put in a day uh, of work. Yeah. <laughs> just God, it makes me so mad. <laughs> so easy for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, oddly enough, I remember which sounds so weird, but I remember when I first was listening to this record having trouble uh, determining who was singing. I know that sounds really weird, like until I really, which is, because now I'm like, okay, I can hear Tom DeLonge and just know that that's him. But, you know, he had a specific production on this album. I think he had to be a little more refined probably than anything else. His voice kind of irritated me sometimes on Dude Ranch. It, It got a little... yes. Yep, it does. Not the case at all. As a matter of fact, I prefer his oh, voice on this record. It doesn't Me at too. all on this record. And I don't know what all they did. I mean, I, I know it's like layers of vocals, and I'm sure it was a lot of it's direction from cool Jerry Finn, but it sounds vocal. great. Yeah, 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 absolutely. His vocals sound great, and they can be, Tom's can be abrasive might be the right word, just yeah. like kind of nasally, and sometimes on other stuff it gets on my nerve, but it's just not on this album. Like, it's a great opening track. He sounds awesome. I'm not, and I'm not criticizing him now or like what he went on to do, but like, I kind of hate that he tried to sing for real after this. You know what I mean? Yeah, like this was went, perfect. Went on, th- yeah, this is, he sounds great. Yeah. I, you can tell he, he seems to be the kind of singer that like, I'm sure this one, it was all Jerry Finn. Like mm-hmm. if he told you to do something, you probably did it. Cause these guys are like. Yeah, 20, Nobody. He's like twenty four years 20 old. Twenty something years yeah. old. This is their first big record to get to budget and stuff like that. I'm sure everything was at the direction of Jerry Finn, and you can tell it's probably not the case. Like three albums later, when it, like they're gigantic, and right. who's going to boss him around if he says no? This is how I want to sing. Mm-hmm. I think that it gets harder for producers with artists to probably rein him in. And I feel like Tom's maybe one of those people. Listen, like no idea. Obviously, I'm just judging based on different vocal performances from different albums, but this one just sounds so good with less technology. It's not yep. like they've got, you know, auto tunes much easier now, obviously editing down to the syllable if they need to back then it's a lot more, you know, you can punch in, but it's not like you could punch in like you can now. So I just feel like he got a great performance out of Tom yep. on all these vocals. Yeah. I think uh, you're, you're probably right. It probably had a lot to do with, you know, Tom still being a young guy. This being their um, first big budget record, you know, so time was, it, it doesn't sound, it sounded like they had several months to do it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like one thing, what the things that eight hours for drums and then like <laughs> the next three months for guitars, which doesn't mean you're working all the time right. every day. I mean, you might go in for a week and then not do anything for a couple of weeks. Dude, that happens all the time on these kind of records. Eight hours on drums. I mean, if that is true, I know that these are just facts from the internet, but this song alone. I'd heard that before. Oh, would take a. Yeah. And the next one. <laughs> The next one. Yeah, I know. I is, that a good, is that a good time to go to uh, uh, Don't, Don't Leave, leave me. me? Yeah. Okay. I'll try this time. I'll give you yours. I won't take mine. I'll listen up. 
Can I say something about yeah. this song? Of course. Please That's do. the whole point of this podcast. I, I just, talk about songs. <laughs> I just realized something. Like, you know how when you listen to Elton John now, you're like, oh, he's got deep old man voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, he doesn't have the same voice. Your voice changes, yeah. I just realized how much higher... Mark's voices on this album. That's yeah, true. it is on that song. Like he's kind of more of a baritone totally. thing. You can, I mean, even then, you can tell he's probably at the top of his yeah. range on this. He all is, over this like, album, but yeah, it's higher. It's, I mean, it made me think of Elton John immediately. Oh yeah, because he can't. Well, but oh, here's he, the thing: he, he don't have the range. But my yeah. argument with Elton John. I mean, if we're just to talk about voices and as people get older, yeah. some people it's like, I mean, Elton John's voice is richer. He can't hit some of those notes and totally. do the falsetto thing he used to, but like he's got a velvetier voice than That's he true. did in the seventies. And sometimes it, I think it works out now. It's hard to go back and sing the song, Dude, but no, no, like no, no disrespect to Mark Hoppus. Like right. even on their most recent record, I love the way his voice sounds, yeah. but he's definitely deeper well and the other thing is like this kind of music lends itself to people that sing high and it's not made for baritone kind of thing it's not the national or something where it's like that's the level you're in it's like this high energy stuff and it's weird but like he's got a great low in baritone stuff all the stuff where he does the low part and tom does the octave above it uh, is really cool yeah but you're right the drums again sound phenomenal and it's just it's the timing of everything is like Dude, they it's so song together at warp tour like 6000 bpms faster than it's even on this record <laughs> yeah. and it's already really freaking fast <laughs> yep. i was like how is he playing that bass from that don't leave me i mean they play it really fast yeah. or they did then i love um, uh by the way another thing that i feel like got ushered in via jerry finn is like mark hoppus got a like signature bass sound like that is that sounds yeah. like mark oh, yeah. hoppus uh which i copy all the time because i just love the high end of the strings and stuff how it's like basically another guitar this song by the way apparently written in 10 minutes by mark hoppus just kind of jotted it down as they were trying to get not really filler songs on the record but the, great you song know, it's a great it's second a good track number two too. it's a good it number takes, two yeah it's a perfect number two song yeah but so. that uh the that refrain try this one more time with feeling like yeah. that build oh, up yeah. that whole bridge is yeah, fantastic yeah. that's the best part and the bass tone on that yep. yeah that p bass it's a great bridge and it's another bridge where like travis barker's little subtle things that he's doing on that bridge are just like it's just better than someone if they just played it straight the whole time he's just got slight little subtle things that he's doing that really make it yeah real nice i uh, wish i could just be a fly on the wall of my bedroom when I was like pretending to try to play these songs for the first time when I was oh, 16. Man. Yeah, I, I bet it even, was so adorable. Look, I, play, I played drums and not very well, but I never even tried to play along to this album. This was not one of them in my rotation of things I even attempted. I would probably play the hits because they were easy. You know, well, yeah. All the small things. What's my age again? You What's can play my age again? Easily. Those are fine, but no, there's no way I was trying to play any of this stuff. There's uh, not a chance. Uh, let's go to Aliens Exist. All right. Uh, 
Who wants to go first? It's a good tune. I'll tell you why. Because, you know, you just had two poppy, sappy love songs, and then you kind of remind everybody about the naked bathtub incident dude ranch back. Aliens! Okay. <laughs> like, it kind of takes you out, out of it for a second. I like it. Here's the funny thing to me is that at the time, this felt like shtick continued over oh, from Dude Ranch. True. And now I realize he's literally so into aliens. He's like become the poster child of like the aliens exist movement, yep. which is so funny because at the time I just thought like, oh, this is a funny song about, about him thinking aliens exist. And uh, now I'm like, oh no, this was like it's not a joke to him. This was probably the song he fought for <laughs> on the album. I have <laughs> I have a voice and I have something to say. <laughs> and no one knew at the time how serious he was about it. Um, That's funny. But yeah, again, yeah, just uh, Tom sounds great on this record, uh, and all the little drum things again in this album. Uh, I just I don't imagine it, there's. There's not a lot of drummers in bands that are so unique that like someone's not gonna be able to replace them. So, which is the second time we talked about this, but like Neil Pert is yeah. one of those guys. Like, that's a guy that's like he's in the. You can't replace him. He's so unique. And Travis Barker is another one of those that's like I don't think anyone else would play on this record. Right. If like two guys, three guys are sitting at a right song. Here's a song we've got. We need drum parts for it. I just don't think someone else is gonna come up with the stuff that Travis Barker doesn't. I mean, now there's a bunch of people to imitate that, but I still don't think anyone has. Uh, and I can't think of a lot of bands that have come since then that have kind of irreplaceable drummers that are so unique that I can't. I'm sure there are. I'm just not off the top of my head right. able to think of one. Uh, no, that's actually Anyone? Or one that shaped a sound. Or that yeah. shaped a sound or influenced. Yeah. I mean, I, this is the last drummer I can think of that really like influenced a generation of drummers. Right. And there's got to be another one coming along, but yeah. maybe not because we just time correct the crap out of everything. Yeah. Now. Well, that's trippy. I cannot think of a single drummer that was that. Yeah, I mean it's I which is kind of sad because it's been twenty that used years. Used to be that we had so many of them in the seventies, eighties, uh, and even nineties. I mean, like Dave Grohl would be before yeah, that, maybe of someone sure. that like, but that's before Travis Barker. Yeah, even. Um, maybe Nickelback's drummer. <laughs> oh yeah, we did forget about right. <laughs> whose name we don't even know. We, for the purpose of him. this joke, we yeah. don't even know it. <laughs> yeah, that would have helped a lot. It really would have. If Although, you had that if in your pocket. this record, like, we could say, oh, yeah, this name's like uh, Peter Johnson. Yeah, no one's going to know. Peter Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best fake name Chris can come up with. <laughs> Peter Johnson? Nickelback. I actually said Johnsonson. Peter Johnsonson. <laughs> That's even better. Uh... All right, uh, let's go to going away to college. I think about the times she kissed me after class and she put up with my friends. I acted like an ass. I ditched my lecture to watch the girls soccer. Is my picture still hanging in her locker? I haven't been this scared in a long time. Going away to college. You'll have to excuse. We we spent the whole music break laughing at pictures of Nickelback. Okay. So, Looking for pictures of Peter yeah, Johnson. But we were trying to find Peter Johnson. Son. Son. Okay. So 27-year-old Mark Hoppus writes this song. This is pretty interesting. He's almost 30. Right. But he really does kind of capture this moment. He's watching Can't Hardly Wait. He's sick at home on Valentine's Day. Just really bring it back to Can't Hardly Wait, huh? Yeah. No way. Yeah. So he, um, yeah, he he pens this song rather quickly, I guess, again. 
Um, and that's why you get the Valentine rhyme. Okay, yeah. Clum- bouquet of clumsy words because it yeah. was Valentine's Day. Yeah. So, um, it, it's a good, um, it's a solid tune. It is. Uh, one thing jam. I really <laughs> like about it is, obviously, they're a three-piece. And, uh, you know, the tendency now, and maybe then even, was to just, like, layer so many guitars, especially with this kind of production. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't it's like it's that one guitar i mean it, obviously there's different guitars you're probably playing it multiple times on top of each other but it's not like there's some rhythm part behind that you know part or whatever uh and it but it still sounds really full and it you know shouldn't i guess but it does it sounds great i think that's one of the things that changed with travis barker coming along and like maybe i'm wrong but i think that i think that tom DeLong's guitar playing is a little bit underrated Cause he's a great punk guitarist. Yeah. And like, I remember everyone trying to learn his parts and I don't know that hard is like the right word or technical, but he played uncomfortable things. Like he yeah. would write things yeah. that weren't like just regular, you know, punk riffing and this whole record, you're right. There's not like a stacked rhythm part. And then him playing his parts, Travis, the way that he plays, he fills that space. He fills that space. Yep. Yeah. And so he's just playing these really cool guitar parts and it sounds full and it shouldn't sound full. And the bass tone yes. again yeah. is filling in. It's really like more like a baritone guitar tone more. So it's like, it's not, it's filling in a different spot than most people do. With, like they put the bass down here at the bottom. It's like bass and kick are kind of here. And then we got a rhythm guitar and then there's lead guitar. I'm doing hand motions. No one's going to be able to see on this podcast, but you know, they, once again, Jerry Finn is just really good at that, which he did with green day too. Like that bass tone is super specific and it's different than this one, but it's like, it's, it's a, it does a great job of finding, which is what good producers should do. They like find the unique things about the band and kind of dial in that sound more than the band could by themselves. And I think Jerry Finn like nailed it with this and blink Two basically has continued to use this as their, it's basically this is I think where their identity came from was this whole album yeah. how it sounded and how they wrote and recorded songs. And, and I wonder if Finn had a lot of influence on what DeLong's guitar sound would become later because one thing I did read about this record I thought was interesting was um but you know the, the records before they had had to rent a lot of gear yeah. mm, and probably and, not but, so much with this one. Right, Jerry's yeah. got you know, closets full of stuff. And so a lot of the guitar effects and stuff that he was using, he found his sound on yeah. this record. And, and cause I mean, there is no sound on, on dude ranches there. There's no, but he does have, the, he does have that way that he plays right, the style, like, but the, the style, the, right. But, yeah. And then you add the, the interesting, the clean yep. and the dynamic. I think though, that's probably Jerry Finn because I know at the time I remember reading quotes, you know, as a guitarist, you know, I was always interested in like, what are people playing and stuff? And Tom DeLonge was one of those guys like, no, it's like guitar straight into the amp clean and dirty on the amp. And I think that really was his mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm sure Jerry Finn was like, Hey, but if we put through a little chorus on this, because yeah. all the clean parts have like a really like cool kind of chorus sound on it or something. And I'm sure that wasn't. Well, and to Kyle's point, Tom's w- idea without those guess. clean sounds, I don't think you recognize what a spectacular guitar player no. is. Cause if you're always just like, and it was yeah. unique. It was like I said, um, it was unlike a clean guitar tone. On a punk record, well, I heard. I remember multiple. Dynamic. I remember multiple uh, musicians back in the day. Like two guitarists would be playing his one part collectively. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And it's like, no, one dude's playing that. Yeah. yeah. You know? So which is where the chorus comes in. That's a great yeah. pedal for if you're only one guy and you want to kind of thicken up that guitar yeah. sound. So worked pretty well. Uh on to the first single from the album, What's My Age Again? The famous running around naked video. Let's listen to that. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And you still act like you're in freshman year. What the hell is wrong with me? My friends say I should act my age. That's about the time that she broke up with me. No one should take themselves so seriously. With many years ahead to fall in line. Why would you wish that on me? I never want to act my age. What's my age again? The first thing I want to say is that the I don't know if they knew the order of these songs, but the transition from oh, yeah. these songs one to another, they have like two spots in the album that like three tracks go straight into each other. Right. And it's like you had to have recorded it that way, or maybe you do it later in mastering. I don't know, either way, but really you know, once again it was like felt like an album. And I yep. love albums where it's not just like, Oh, we wrote these twelve songs, we're gonna throw them in there in the best order we can. These transitions, even just from one song to the next, are kinda cool. So Well, I remember buying the record and fighting the urge to play What's my age again first? Right. I already love that song. Because you trail off when you even start it. You yeah. hear the I was end like, of... I want to hear it. But that transition, like, from Mark saying, but you're so beautiful, and yep. that fade out. Yep. Yeah. Name a more <laughs> iconic transition. And to bring your point about the guitar stuff, I which just doesn't happen anymore, is you, you know, you listen to this song in headphones, it's not perfect. It's nope. like one of the note, one of the strings he's hitting is a, yep. just slightly sharp, and it's not a perfect performance but it, I don't know there's just I'm not something. a guitar player this song's kind of hard to play it's it hard. is it's yeah, not yeah. easy okay. to play it, 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 uh, did you ever see them tour this record it, it, he's uh, constantly yeah. apologizing <laughs> yeah. like I'm gonna screw this up I'm gonna play it the best that I can like, but I love that I love yeah. that he's like it was endearing yeah, yeah he's he's not shying away from a cool part because yeah. it's hard yeah it was not not easy to play and you can hear the imperfection in it and like I said, that's going to 32 tracks of tape. By I've the never day, heard. Just never. I, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not bad. But, you but I notice no, it. If you put it in headphones, I mean, maybe I notice a little bit more. I mean, it's like there's a couple notes. It's like you can tell he's probably up higher on the thing. I think uh, he p- played it with a capo or something. Yeah. I don't know. Either way. A bandana tied around his guitar. Up top. And, and so, you know, it's just like one of the notes is slightly intonated weird or whatever. It's not like a gigantic deal. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a dying cat. No, it's not that bad. Um, anyway, I just like the little imperfections that we used to have on albums. Yeah. And now, like, my biggest critique of, like, their new album is, like, the songs, but, like, everything sounds perfect. Yeah. Kind of, to a fault, almost. It's like, you can't, I don't know that you can, um, I just feel like you lose a little soul in there, but, uh, if you do that. But, yeah, it's a, I mean, this thing ignited uh, their career. Did I you mean, say it was a solid tune? It's definitely a solid tune. Yeah, I, I give this a I'd good. I give it a solid, solid tune. Great tune video. Right. I mean, one of the more memorable videos from that period of time, probably. Oh, of absolutely. the dudes running around naked in L.A. or whatever. Uh, it was funny, and it, <laughs> it's a great. It, it's a it's a sticky video, yeah. and but you get away with it because the song's like one minute long, dude. <laughs> like yeah. it, so I love the last chorus of this song too. The the lyrics of oh, what does it say? Uh, now I'm I remember having to look up one more to this. The, still act like you're in freshman year. No, the one where it's that? like uh, with many years I had to fall in love. Why oh, yeah. would you stat on me? I'd never want to act my age. I just thought, I mean, at the time as like a 17 year old or whatever, you know, that was like a, the deepest lyric I'd probably <laughs> paid attention to at that point. 
but I just I don't know. I liked it. It was it, it took a shticky song that was like the first two the first two parts are that's total so jokes, cool. and then the last one's like this kind of like ah oh, this like real thing of like why. But that's what's so cool oh. about this song is it's goofy and it's so good. Like the like Tom's background vocals on the on the chorus. Yeah, and man. Mark's a really good lyricist, I think, yeah. in, in an underrated way. It's not like he writes these Ben Gibbard-esque like, poetry things or something like that, but you know, he just does a little subtle thing, like that last chorus change on the lyrics, and you know, it's like, oh, all of a sudden this song kind of means something more than it did a second ago. So, also, about the video, I, like, no one has ever taken running naked more seriously than travis barker <laughs> I, I have a feeling travis is not as goofy he's, as the other like, guys and he was not enjoying any he's of this all business in the video like the other two are goobers and goofballs and he's just like to be fair that video probably took longer to shoot than his than entire recording. drumming yeah. on this record yeah you're right but what's but he's there yeah he's there with them like he realizes, yeah. like, okay, us three together make this yeah. thing. It's my job. All right, I got to run naked. Yeah, which that's what we do now. I mean, Travis Barker benefits hugely by he doesn't actually, to my understanding, he's not a member of the band at this point. He's not signed to the label, no, which he's not. means this is why he gets to do any project he wants to. Yeah, and record all these side projects and record drums. This on all record sorts of stuff he made. And, because he wasn't like legally in the band, like in a sense where like, hey, you can't go record other albums on different labels. And so, I mean, he got uh, okay, good. You know, I'm a little nervous to say this out loud. Dysentery, Gary? Is that how we pronounce that word? Dysentery. Dysentery, oh, Gary. Oh yeah, that's what you died from. Yeah. In see, this is why in a past life. No, in uh, what was that game? Isn't that what you died of? <laughs> Oregon, Oregon Trail. Trail. Oregon Trail. Yeah. Freaking guitar part, dude. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Again, everyone else would play a rhythm guitar underneath that, and that oh, would be the lead line. Yeah. And instead, they were just like, nope, we're doing bass, guitar, and drums. That one guitar part. Yeah. And it's great on the choruses. It's awesome. And it's just like, I don't know. It, to me, it would. It feels like it should be sparse, but it's not. Because once oh, again, the it, bass and drums are just filling in all that space yeah but you know it could be sparse because you saw your friend 16 year old band try to cover it and you saw <laughs> oh what happened when yes. it when it's not executed yeah. right it's yep. so bad yeah, it's <laughs> real bad. Admit, real bad. i mean the very first song i ever played live in a band was all the small mm-hmm. things and yeah i mean it was awful i'm mm-hmm. sure and uh and that's the simplest song on this record probably and we probably played it too fast and I'm glad there's probably not a. I'm, I hope there's no recording of it. I don't know that. Gus, I play see. that recording that we found from the archives. <laughs> oh man, no, I'm just um, we don't have it, Blake. But yeah, well, again, that just guitar part's great. It's a good song. Hey. This is one of those super fast songs that I wanted to learn all the lyrics to and be able to sing in my car and well, press he, uh, my friends. I guess this song's got a little bit of a storytelling yeah. quality to it. Like we've got a narrator. Yeah, you know, because every other punk song. Is 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 all saying from the? It's a first person, right? When I'm like, I yeah, yeah this yeah. one's about this Gary gentleman, right? Who's apparently a giver of the diarrhea. He, he's a player, <laughs> yeah, a diarrhea giver. 
It's a real, it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> Song as old as time. We've all been there. He, uh, he tried to grow his hair out while friends listening to Slayer. That's my favorite yeah, line. Yeah, yeah there, I mean, and this is hard. I mean, I tried to, you know, I think all the lyrics of this album, among other things from the 90s, are in some compartment in my brain. And when the song turns on, I can remember yeah. all of them from when I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. Yeah. But for whatever reason, these lyrics just, whoop, they come right, come right back in. I cannot sing them. You'd have to do some, like, vocal warm-up those things with your lips, you know, they're really like, Oh, like, really like Will Ferrell and yeah. man. Like you can't, I mean, there's a lot going on there <laughs> yeah. in a short amount of time. Uh, but yeah, good song. All right. Adam song. amazing how simple the stuff is like, yeah once again there's at least two guitars there but he's yeah. up high yeah it's a high song i mean it, it 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 was incredible to listen to all those goofy punk songs yeah the first time i listened to this all the way through and then hear that it was very emotional mm. yeah and it was i mean it's obviously actually a sad song about yep. a guy killed himself which is pretty somber for some guys that basically it's told hard. dick and fart jokes yeah and it's before. hard for punk bands to pull off the quote unquote ballad. The way it's a they ballad, did. which is funny. The slowest song on the record, I clocked it. It's one thirty four BPM. <laughs> I mean, they, they, followed, like, they followed dysentery Gary with yeah, this one. With this and and again, cool uh we have a cool outro of this and then the next song. And yeah, it's a great I mean, but Jerry Finn pulled out all the all the stops on this. This was like one of those I imagine they were like I don't know. I imagine they were hesitant about all the production that went into this thing. It's got like a choir basically sounding of background vocals. Yeah. Well, there, there's some, uh, sto- I think some of the post-production was where some of these effects were added and, yeah. and, and keyboard parts and stuff. And I think there was a little pushback from the band. It's so good. Um, and he kind of, you know, he, he just said, I'm Jerry Finn. The piano part is amazing. And something that people copied all the time oh. after this happened, the, the piano with a delay on it. And I mean, to be fair, the edge sort of invented it with you too. But really, I'd never heard anyone else other than you two do it. That kind of like piano with a delay, and it's just a real simple part. And oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, Rancid th- doesn't have a lot of songs that no. feature the uh, no. <laughs> the reverb piano. But I love it. I think, yeah, same thing. I remember, you know, this is about, once again, the deepest song I probably liked as a, I guess I was, I was 15 in 1999. I, so. I remember being like, dude, you got to get a splash cymbal oh, yeah. after this one. They were very Zildjian popular. was like, we're going to be rich. <laughs> we're going to make so <laughs> much make... money. Sabian. Start Raise the prices. <laughs> tiny, tiny symbols. Uh, yeah, but yeah, again, there's not... I know I've said this like over and over again. I'll keep saying it, but like, who else plays the drums on this song and oh, does it... no way to do it right. The way... Yeah, and guitars, uh, really cool. That same kind of effect that kind of became a Tom... DeLong signature clean guitar sound it, like that's his sound and mostly that's because he was like is the same guitar running in the same Mesa amp and I'm sure it was the same two pedals he used all the time even like the 
I don't know if you call it like the A section of the chorus or the the where he's doing the from from the toms like the yeah. I mean that to execute that the way he does on a on a song yeah. with this mood is extremely difficult. And once again, any sixteen year old band you saw <laughs> trying to pull this song off, you would have known like And which came first? Because I really don't remember. I assume Green Day's Good Riddance came out before this came out, right? Or is this or is that uh, after that, this? No, it's or is right around the same time. Well it's tough for me because this album came out at the end of my junior year. Good Riddance, good Riddance came out really, after this. Yeah, because it was... Came out after? Okay. That's the song. It was that a graduation was. song. Of course, Oh, yeah, yeah everyone, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I do wonder... I did not. I do always wonder, way, maybe did one come first and influence the other as far as being able to be like, ah, screw it, we're going to make this acoustic song with a cello in it, and kudos to both of them because they both made bukus of money I always, off these songs. Green Day and Blinkman 2 were such different bands, even same, though they were the yeah, same I genre. Mean, they were, but I mean, don't you think that maybe, I mean, like I said, total speculation, but that one could have influenced the other to be sure. like, oh, that's a cool, like, I mean, I remember hearing Billy Joel, Billy Joel, Billy Joe Billy talk Joe. about it uh, and saying that at that point they thought that was the kind of most punk rock thing they could do was re- release this like acoustic right. with a cello about because like no one, everyone would say, oh, that's not cool or whatever. I don't know, which I think is to their it wasn't like neither one of these sound like selling out to me Kyle's they sound hit. like i wrote this beautiful song yeah that would be a waste to put a double beat behind it i Ky- don't know kyle's gonna have the best opinion on this because he's you know me and blake are the three of us didn't know each other at this time but kyle was surely six months ahead all the time on this <laughs> stuff yeah he's like the god well and like i said you're the more you're the most punky member here, I, I f- is that true? Pop punky, I feel like you're that. I always looked up to your your chops. Yeah, I just okay. always felt like you knew. Because like, I feel it, like I'm a. I can't think of a single time where I went up to Kyle was like, "Have you heard of this band?" And he was like, "I have not." I have not. <laughs> it doesn't happen. He's very like, often. "Oh, I know the drummer's best friend's wife. She designed my tattoo." Like, I'm traditionally all- <laughs> more pop music and rock and singer songwriter stuff. I mean, just as far as what I mean, came I'll, before I'll, this, I'll take yeah. it. That's a compliment. To what me. did you think of this song the first time? Um, you heard I mean, it. I loved it. And like one thing that I think is is so interesting about like this time is we're all talking about like how the production is so awesome and how like the band pushed back on it. But comparatively, like to now, it's, it's simple. It's so simple. Yeah, and that's yeah. what's blowing my mind. Like we're list like it's this is not the first time I've listened to this record, you know since then it's but not like, the 300th time i've listened no, to this record probably but, but the... like while we're talking about how simple it is and then like listening to these clips it's insane to me like how straightforward and simple this recording is and yeah there's a lot of production well, but, but it's so tasteful yeah but even then going back it's tape key. it's 32 tracks i mean now they might use 32 tracks for drums i mean quite literally i mean it's not Outside of right. reason, I mean, I I do think on some of our records we were using twenty plus tracks for drums. Oh, dude! But to you know, room mics, yeah. boundary mics, all this stuff—they're having to mix down the drums to I mean, whatever seven or eight of those thirty-two tracks, and the guitars are the. I mean, so you're limited. I mean, you were just you were you had to make decisions and record them to tape, and you had to bounce stuff to single channels and stuff. So you are more limited. So even though it was like this was about the most production I'd heard on a pop, pop right. kind of thing. It was. It's still so simple compared to what happens now. To to think though that surely it crossed their mind that this was like maybe overproduced, right? Oh, it had to. And and like it's it's not even close. But this is where I think Jerry Finn and 
the label, I think, knew exactly what they yeah. were doing. They were like, this is a beautiful song. Let's make it sound yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you know, in I think it deserves that. So into the aforementioned All the Small Things. Okay, I don't. It I, I it's hard for me to articulate this. If you listen to each individual part, listen to the bass line, the guitar playing, and even the melody of the verse, like this song does not objectively seem like it's a good song. <laughs> right? It's, I, there's it's, nothing it's to the it. Simplest song on this record. Yeah. Like, they, truly. Oh yeah. And they made it sound so good, so good. I mean, even like the lyrics are a little. The cheesy. chorus is na 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 na. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's yeah. no. So he, yeah, Tom wrote this about his fiance, his future wife, um, and Ex-wife. yeah, I was about yeah. Oh, Kyle went there. Oh. <laughs> Can you play the prices right? Wait, so is, this, <laughs> is this the wife that uh, they had Jimmy World play at the re- wedding? Yes. Yeah. Kind of thing? Okay. Ex-wife. Right. Now ex. I didn't know that. Yeah. But... Her her name's not Jennifer. I don't know that. You do know it. Oh. <laughs> Better that you. So you do know Tom's wife's name, but you don't know the drummer of Nickelback's name. No, I do. It's it's uh... <laughs> Dana Dare. No, right, of no, course. Well, it's Dick Johnson. No, Peter Johnson. <laughs> Peter Johnson. Um, You're right, though. Every part of this is simpler than every other song on this record, and it somehow comes together and makes a really good song. Yeah. And, and the video, uh, I remember uh, being so excited about the video because they did the, remember the making of the video? Oh, yeah, TRL. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, they had a different show on MTV for the, like, No, they, I'm talking about the making of the video show. They right. did yeah. this one. And, and then I, they premiere the video. And they're goofing and on TRL? Yeah. Well, no, they had a specific show. Kyle wants to talk about TRL, Blake. Let okay. Talk about Total TRL. Request <laughs> Live. No, I know what TRL Carson, is. and Daly. Carson Daly. No, I'm saying they had a different show where they showed the making of the video and they debuted the video at the end of the showing the making of. That was oh, before, yeah. Yeah, that was the show we were talking about. And then it was and on TRL. And then it was on TRL. <laughs> Request Live. Then they were on TRL making fun of all the boy bands they and They dominated whatnot. on Total Request yeah, Live. Yeah, they did. Uh, kind yeah. of ironic thinking about that now because yeah. like, they were they were a boy band in another way. Very ironic. Yeah, I think we're absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think the difference was their demographic was mostly dudes and the boy bands was less so, but they were still, they still had a look and a thing and a sound and I don't know. I, feel I like... mean, when I saw Blink-182 in this era. Oh, there were dudes, a lot of but, girls. But yeah, after the the next record, like, oh. it was there was a lot of chicks there. Well, yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot of girls <laughs> at a show for sure. But I mean, the guys knew every lyric. Yeah, but they were doing song. like the Beatles screaming. Yeah, that's like, true. I, I was like, like, what is happening? Dude, the I keys, saw these guys at Warped Tour. <laughs> like, I agree with you that everything is super simple and not that impressive, but the keys... Uh, wee, wee, wee. Uh, yes, and the intro to this song so, from Adam's song is great. That so awesome. organy synth, thing. that yeah. swell. Oh into no, it. I, I, it's a great. It's really cool. I, I just it always trips me out that yep. listen. Dini, and something that I don't think enough bands do, which Blink Two did for the most part, was like if 
Tom's singing, Mark's doing the harmony and vice right. versa. I mean, it didn't always work out like that. Sometimes it was better if it was Mark doing all the background vocals, but I love bands that actually have, like you can hear it's Mark and Tom singing together. I think they blend really well together. And I just feel like people don't do that as much. It's just the lead singer stacking everything on top of each other. And I still like the, like, the background vocalist doing the background vocals uh, on a record. I think it's a cool thing. And now you I can't, can hear that on this song. Now I can't stop picturing, because Kyle was talking about, like, how, you know, Barker's all business. Yeah. And he's like, hey, guess, hey, Travis, guess what we're doing for the next video? <laughs> I know you had so much fun running <laughs> naked. This one. <laughs> like, You're going to dress up in ridiculous boy band outfits. It's like, I, be, I better make a lot of money off this, guys, because I'm You're really... You're going to. <laughs> You're going to sell enough famous stars and straps to... Put your kids through college. But the thing is, he was Baron Von Tito before this. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's so he's got so some theatricality. Up, but he, he has a... Yeah. It's so weird, because I feel like he's like the serious dude, but he came from the band of superheroes. Right. Wait, played uh, for the Vandals, too. They're, every one of their songs is a, is a joke song. Yeah. Party song. Again, you wanted to know every lyric to this. Oh, oh yeah. Let's play real quick. <gasps> I was trying to practice the beginning. <gasps> Do you want to come to a party? My friends pick me up in a truck at 1130. The six at a front house with people are cool there. I'm looking, I follow, but I never dreamed there would be someone there who would catch my attention. I wasn't out searching for love or affection, so I paid my three and the girls got a free shine. The beer for tequila and we headed into the party. And then in the backyard, some terrible scoffers, someone in the background was doing a case and the place is so lame. All these girls look the same, all these guys have no game. I wish I would have stayed in the What is he saying? Do you want to come to a party? My friends pick me up in no, a no, truck. No, no. What does he like? Kind of whisper at the beginning. Oh, here we go, motherfuckers. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. You didn't. Know that. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> okay, hold on. We gotta go back. Play it again. Play it again. Okay, hold on. I'm, hold on. I'm 37. I I get to. Hold I, on. I, here we go, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> And I you, never knew that. And you know that was him talking to them in the booth. Like he had sung it a hundred times. Yeah. Chris spent, never knew that that's how this song starts. He spent eight hours on this song, yeah. on the vocals. And that's, that's uh, he's talking to Jerry Finn right there. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, I mean, my only goal was to know every single word of this song and actually be able to pull it off. I don't know who I was trying to impress by doing that, but... Uh, <laughs> but you just had something to prove to yourself. I guess so, yeah. Again, classic Mark Hoppus bass, kind of two-string, almost playing chords with that thing throughout this song, and it on the choruses especially. And it's like I said, it's like a signature sound. It's a great... I mean, it, I don't know that anyone else is, can do this song. Also, the callback to the Nananas. Yep. Oh, yeah. Two Nanana songs in a row. Yep. Yeah. And I like that. I mean, obviously, as like a 15-year-old boy at this point in my life, the Some Girls Try Too Hard and uh, what's the other one that we just did a couple the songs ago? Uh, whatever. Just all the themes of like the yeah. frustrations of girls when you're 15 uh, really spoke to me, obviously. Another song that 27-year-old Mark Hoppus is writing about college. like Which, by the way, this is kind of funny. So I recently, um, I'm trying to get all my like favorite albums on vinyl, and I got this one, and the first one came to me and was like defective. Like something was wrong with it. Oh. Like it wouldn't, it was just skipping constantly. It was brand new and the thing. So I send that one back. They're like, sorry, it happens. And they didn't have another copy, so I buy another one from someone. It gets here, and I get to probably this song, and it's bleeped out all the cursing on it. 
And it, I look at the front of the album, it's got the, you know, explicit lyrics thing. I got some clean version that was not labeled no. right or something. And I was like, look, if I'm buying the vinyl version of an album 20 years later, Don't I am going to be fine with having the cursing on yeah, this that album. that would be an obscure demographic. Like, right, like who's buying this? I'm the this? biggest Blink-182 fan in the world, but and I only like, the clean version. I like version. vinyl. <laughs> I, like, and I like vinyl. <laughs> Anyway, I prefer so, wax. I'm oh, so mad. So now I still I still need to get a legitimate copy of this oh, album. Oh, and by the way, I want the cover to still feature the parental advisory <laughs> right, yeah. warning. <laughs> Just so to... I want my friends to think I'm hardcore. I love F-bombs, man. <laughs> I'm all about them. Anyway, that's, I was so mad. <laughs> songs are better with cuss words, <laughs> yeah. guys. I was so mad for some... You know this song's got like five swears in it? So awesome. I don't uh, want to tell you what they are because I don't, you know, but... I mean, I don't even care how many times he swears. It's like, kick-a. It's cool. <laughs> Anyway, that's my takeaway as an old, you know, thirty-six-year-old. This character's interesting to me. I can relate to him. He he sounds like uh, Steve Carell's character from Forty Year Old Virgin. Oh yeah, it's like trying to uh, be cooler than he really is. Um, yeah, that that was basically it. My goal was to know every lyric. Uh, and let's talk about Mutt. Then the, the uh, we already talked a little bit about. But listen to that. intro is fantastic and i can still picture that movie scene jason biggs of him running back to his house which by the way that scene specifically could never be made oh now yeah never would yeah. you be able to make that scene why is that because it's like I'm to it's like there's a webcam and the girl's in his bedroom i mean it's like oh, it's yeah. like the ultimate and like yeah. everyone in school sees it it's and not, she gets there's no consent back to no, uh, in that <laughs> The whole school scene. sees it. They're featured in the movie, the Blink-22 guys, yeah. with some monkey on like, Which, Mark's shoulder. So and if the timeline is adding up, and they recorded this before they recorded Enemy of the State, then right. pretty coincidental that their album's getting huge, and they're already in this movie they already worked on. Because I remember thinking, oh, that's cool that this movie got and that's famous guys. Thing. Travis is in the movie. Oh. Travis in the movie, but I think they shot that later. Okay. Because it's just a... It's not like... It's really just them sitting in front of a computer. They could have shot that way later. Scott didn't play that. Well, but that does make, that does lend more credibility to the fact that maybe Travis, if they really did shoot it, it's like the Epstein didn't kill I mean, here's himself, the thing. but <laughs> Scott didn't play the beginning of this, Mutt. Okay, this him. album comes out in May of 1999. There's no way he did it. There's, There's no, no way it's not way it's wrapped no. up in 1999. There's American, nothing on Dude Ranch half this tight. American I, I know, just Pie. The work alone, look man. up. American Pie came out that summer, right? Of 99, the same summer the album came out. I think. Yeah, yeah. The Ask album Gus. came out. Gus, the album came out in May or June. May, it's definitely. And May. this movie came out in like July, right? Okay, if that's the case, then I mean they definitely shot the movie before the album was out. But you're right. They could have they could have added that footage like after the whole movie had been edited because this band's blowing up and they the release to date it. was July 9th, 1999. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they could have shot it after. I bet they did. I bet they shot it. I bet they shot them in the movie after. I'd be, it'd be fun to look that up. This is one of those things where if you're listening and you can find the answer to this, you can, I don't know, email 
info at finding emo pod or tweet us at finding emo I have pod a question. and we can or Mark Hoppus could just tweet me back and That'd we can be figure great. this stuff out. God. I have a question, guys. Yes. Yeah. Does that movie hold up? When's the last time you've seen it? I have not seen it since I was in high school, so I You're don't You're completely don't know. right about that scene though. Oh, There's yeah. no way. Like she they would be villains. Back. She gets sent back to her home country or whatever yeah. because of it. It's like all of the things that yeah, you'd be there's no way. Uh, I, I feel like because now I'm like when I go home tonight I want to watch it. I feel like I want to watch the first twenty minutes and be like, ugh. You're gonna be let down. Well, I mean, first of all, don't is meet there, your heroes. Is don't there, watch your movies from the nineties. <laughs> any movie targeted at high school students that's going to hold up when you're in your thirties? Can't hardly wait. Can't hardly wait. Does you're can't right? Can't hardly wait. wait does. does I have watched that again and over and over again? And well, it's at, still at, as good. Special K. As far as college oh, movies go, um, you know, Animal House still holds up. That's true. That's true. I, I doubt that American Pie is up to that standard. It probably well. It, I think, I think there's some funny stuff, but I think that like it's just doesn't American Pie suffer from the same thing Hangover did? It's like they then they made three different movies and they yeah. were all awful. And yeah. maybe the first one is fantastic, but it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth because well, they just wrote it out and squeezed yeah. every drop out of that franchise. Well, I'm, I'm really not trying to be crude because I know this acronym has a swear in it. Okay. But the term MILF, the MILF thing, happens that in started that movie. Yeah. because of that movie. I'm and pretty sure. That yeah, that's this this movie. Started this is the that. second one though. Oh no, that's the, the first one. one. It's the first yeah. one. You're right. You're yeah. right. Stifler's mom. Yeah, st- yeah. Stifler's <laughs> mom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll watch we, that again. Okay, we're just the next podcast. We should is gonna watch be it. us uh, yeah. uh, doing. What, what doing are those guys that, that do watch did, movies? That... Did Stifler's mom influence Stacy's mom at all? Uh, no, I don't think so. I've heard some she weird story about that. Yeah, she did. That's a great Fountains of Wayne. That's mm. a great album and song. Um, to Windy Clear, or in, unless y'all have anything else about Mutt, we really just talked about the drums in American Pie. For yeah, a we, ca- we talked about Stifler's mom a lot. I mean, yeah. I think we confirmed Scott didn't play on it. I just, if you listen, okay, so it doesn't again, add up. There are two versions of this: the Mutt that's from this album, In the State, and then if you go listen to the American Pie soundtrack, it is, I mean, it's the exact same time, but it is a different song. You can tell the vocals are slightly differently produced. You can tell it's definitely a different drum set, although the parts are the exact same from what I can tell. This is a couple listens in. I, different maybe kit, if I for sure. You're absolutely right. It's a uh, different kit, They though. don't have the effects on the drums for, uh, on the bridge, you know, the, probably the uh, reverb. Probably wasn't mixed and mastered by the same crew. Definitely uh, wasn't, yeah. So anyway, it, that's kind of the mystery. If someone, like I said, if Margo just tweet me back, we'd know, and we'll let you know if it comes up. So let's go to Windy Clear. bring it out in this one i love 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 this song yep it's yeah it's great it's uh i it's just all energy the whole time i feel like except for that one once again clean guitar with a chorus pedal on it yep Uh, Uh, board magazine actually said that on a lesser punk band's record this could have been the lead single i mean it's a great it's so good and it's not that's i mean i think it's great that this album had enough singles on it that this just got buried <laughs> and it's i it's you know the title it, comes from he has a boat his boat was named wendy no way yeah i'm sure it wasn't like 
That's not very punk rock. <laughs> I'm sure it was a is a boat, not a yacht. I don't have a boat. I mean, I'm you getting, could. I'm getting in a boat. You are? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So it was you... bequeathed to me. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> that means that everyone in the Just... podcast will have a boat, but me. Yeah. You well, have a boat. Well, I don't own it. My parents own it, technically. I just use it. There's a difference. Just, Kyle, are you going to own your boat? Are you going to be a real man unlike Blake? I'm going to own it outright. You're going to have a title and everything? Yes. All right, Blake. you got to buy a boat now. Uh, yeah, the song is so good. That's There's so good. nothing the bridge. to it. The organ sounds fantastic on it. I'm glad that if that was an argument that someone, whoever came out winning that saying there should it was yeah. pro organ, I'm pro organ on this it, straight up B three organ. Like, yeah. That's cool. I love it. And, uh, it's a great song. I, uh, I think we, I covered this when they yeah. broke up the first time I was like super sad about it and was playing a solo show. Oh, I straight up we rocked that this. Night. I remember that night. I was bummed out that first time they went on a hiatus. I was just like, no, no, I remember it was yeah, a bummer. that, I was. I feel like things apartment. have never been fully the same. No, they have not. No, uh, that is totally true. Which I think we'll, that, and I think that's a good thing. Which I think we'll talk about in a second. I, we'll I, talk I, about I feel like it's the Seinfeld effect, like where. I mean, I know they they came back after that, but at it, it, that time, yeah, because it also Mr. Finn passes, yeah, before they get back together, right? And so the, he really was a fourth member of the band. I mean, that sound right. all came from him. And you know, we talked about this on the Clarity record about how they stuck with Trombino for so long, yeah. And these guys, they had such a good time and such a good rapport with him that you know they kept making records with him. Um, you know, both the the next few records were were with Jerry, and and so, they were immediate, just a year apart. Yeah, they just yeah, cranking them out. But I don't think I don't think they were ever going to be seen without him producing the record for sure. Uh, Let's talk about anthem, final track on the record. Pretty solid. I mean, that's a energetic way to end an album with the forbidden double time yeah. beat uh, and cool background vocals and just rocking out. And then to kick the next one off with Anthem, Anthem Part, Part Two. two. <laughs> that's ex- you took the words out of my mouth, dude. Like two things. One, I feel like this song is a little bit of a middle finger to anybody that was like, "You've changed." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like. They end the record with a very punk rock song, but it's also just so dynamic and awesome. And then the, you know, from Anthem to Anthem Part 2, like, what a freaking perfect transition. Yeah, I think Blink-22 did a good job of being slightly ahead of what other bands were doing. And I don't think it's because they're, like, geniuses or something like that. I think they just kind of know, like, okay, you know, their next album is kind of basically for all intents and purposes, the same as in the state. It's just like part two of that right. or whatever. Yeah. And then the next one after that, they're like, okay, we got to really change it up. We don't mm-hmm. want to get stale. Boy, did they, that ushers in a whole bunch of stuff. And then I saw Mark Hoppus tweet something after this last one came out where it was like, he had everyone's kind of consensus of the, yeah. all the records like, Oh, well that's not really punk. And Oh, well that's too produced. And this one, Oh, that's not really. And basically just like, Hey, people have been crapping on all our records for forever. And I don't care. I'm going to, 
kind of make the record that we want to. Um, yeah, if you're not authentic, yeah, who cares? it's yeah. way worse. You got to do <laughs> what you need. So uh, let's do kind of our favorite things from. So, like, Desert Island songs from this record. What are your, like, two or three, if you have to pick two or three to keep on your Desert Island iPod, I guess? <laughs> no, we don't even have iPods anymore. I, I do, but. I, for me, there's no nostalgia like hearing the first track because from the very moment it begins, it's, I don't know. It was just, it was like a new era was being ushered in for, for the kind of music I listened to. And I remember these two sides of myself fighting, like the one side was like, that's so polished and clean. And the other side, my brain's like, yes, but it's so good. That's so nice. <laughs> I just remember thinking that song was so cool, man. Those, yeah. Those, those muted guitars. Cause I mean, all punk records have Paul muted guitar yeah. parts, but something about how thick and rich and deep it was. Even on my crappy car stereo. Even in my Toyota Corolla. Yep. I upgraded the speakers in it. Yeah, but yeah. It no, still had, was not great, I'm sure. Nissan Maxima upgraded speakers. I think I shorted out the whole system a few times when I installed those. Kyle, do you have you know, two or three? Is it, is it two or three, or is it one? I think we said two or three, because there's no way we're ever going to pick one song off these okay. albums. I mean, I, my, two, three, my, two or three. My Desert Island tracks are Dumpweed, track number one. And Anthem, the last track on the record. And then if I threw another one in for fun. Man, that's the hard one. The third one. It is. Like maybe it's between, it's between probably the party song Mutt and Windy Clear. Yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm Don't Leave Me, Windy Clear, and maybe What's My Age Again? I just. Maybe that's all nostalgia, but I just, you know, I'm I'm more of a Mark fan than a Tom fan. Oh, oh, not I. I just tend to like when I make a list. When I make, yeah, we probably should in a second. So when we, when I just, if I had to make a list, I would probably I gravitate towards his his stuff. I don't know. It's because I like. It's not just a voice thing. I think it's even like I said. I like his lyrics better. I don't think Toms are bad. Toms written some songs that are some of my favorite songs ever. But I tend to gravitate a little bit more towards mine. So I happen to pick three Mark songs then, but. Uh, those are my three. What's the uh, the nobody's perfect? What's the worst song on this album? That's is there fair. one? No, no, not on this record. My least favorite might be it was Anthem. I don't think it is. <sighs> I know that sounds weird. It was not the one that excited me in 1999. I don't know why. I don't know if it just didn't have. It's not, it's a great song. No, it's no, a no, great I way to end the it, album. It's, it's but if I had to pick quality. one, it's just a different. It seems. A little, maybe not out of place. I don't know. This anyway. album should be listened to as a whole, but it if should. I had to pick one, I would pick all the small things because I've heard it enough to last <laughs> a lifetime. That's a good point. And, and like, that's fair. Yeah, yep, I like I'm it. not even saying I don't like all the right, small things. It's yeah. just I've I've heard it enough. You're you're I've merely talking enough. about if I, you had to omit one song from yes. this record, and for the rest of your life, you could only hear without that song. You're like. For obvious could, reasons. Well, the opposite. I'll never I could live it. without The it. opposite yeah. of that, Grower Not a Shower, what's the song that you maybe did not like at first, maybe skipped sometimes, but now you're like, oh, I was wrong. I love that song. Or at least have grown to appreciate it more. Is there anything like that on this record for either one of you? Well, I mean, I do question. think Windy Clear was like the one that, I, I think I always liked the way that it sounded. I always liked all of these songs. But like that one is, 
is pretty polished and like the organ is is so loud like i think it no. took me a while to come around to that one and by a while i mean like a couple days <laughs> right i now i i didn't appreciate mutt as much until i saw the movie yeah i remember like i had a different appreciation for yeah. it so because it's what it, i picture when right, i hear that it, drum it, part well it then, was just the perfect song yeah. for that scene so um jumping that, over bushes and that stuff. song didn't really like do anything major for me when i first heard it and anthem's then, probably mine yeah just because like i said it, it was the song one that I, I feel like it wasn't it didn't feel like a good end of the album at the time and now it does oh yeah i mean now i'm like oh yeah that's the right way to end that album but at the time it felt um i don't know i was a 15 year old what do i know about anything <laughs> I <was> um, stupid. <laughs> what's the what's the album's importance and influence so i mean those kind of go hand in hand so i guess we can talk importance first i mean this ushered in an era of music literally yeah every band you can think of good charlotte newfound glory which is why we picked by the way clarity jimmy yeah. world's clarity and this as kind of first two episodes because they did have so much Midtown. that came after them yeah the starting line yep yeah none of those bands exist without this album the sex and there's pistols. a bunch of other ones. The Sex Pistols. The Beatles. <laughs> That's right. The Beach Boys. Uh, we might Mozart. have a little carried away with some of that list. But yeah, I mean, it's really true, though. They Album's importance, like I said, every, most adolescent guys had this album. And if you're a musician, I imagine it influenced you in one way or another. And obviously, there's a ton of bands that clearly don't exist without, even if they didn't, even if they'd never heard of Bling Way 2, they don't exist because they don't become popular without the, right. the well, Bling Way 2 in the state coming and before And this them. changes a dynamic because with the exception of Green Day, most of the punk bands we were listening to at the time, they were not famous. Like you would go to yes. your local record store and talk to the owner and he would tell you, oh, this band, you might like this band Rancid. They're on Epitaph Records or right. something. But you had to find out about this music really organically yeah. from your friends. This band changed that. This band said, oh, no, you can actually be, like, super famous and play arenas and play this music. Yeah, I mean, like, was there another Puck Man other than Green Day on with videos on MTV? I mean, this is me seriously asking. I don't oh, remember no. that being a thing. And there's a pretty big chunk between that happening. That's I mean, the thing about Green Day. It's like Green Day, Day only for, like, three albums, yeah, right. well, and then Blink-22 happens. And Green Day, uh, yeah, that was, it was I, different. I think you could make an argument... Uh, the the offspring is somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Offspring's that's a good, a good one. Yeah, that's a good. One. Although also, hey, they had a different, they had their own thing too. Yeah, but yeah, well, they'd be one of them for sure. And and also you're talking about like those dudes completely, lots. like Smash from Smash to like Americana. Pretty Fly for a White Guy. <laughs> two there's, different bands. There's right. a there's quite a that's another. They weren't selling out, but they were definitely show. buying in. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. And their importance they, and influence, I'd say, yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's um there's a direct line to just all those different bands and maybe now the difference between this and Clarity is that like everyone knew about this album. It was gigantic. It sold a ton like, I don't know, twenty three million copies or something bananas. Uh I might be wrong with that. I think That's I wrote that down five, at some point. Five million in in the United States, but obviously worldwide it was well, no, maybe it was five times platinum. I think it was thirteen worldwide. I'd have to look that up. Someone fact check me. They made some dough. Anyway, they did fine, and you know, so a lot of stuff came after it. Uh, is it their best album? No, it's not their best album. But I was gonna say this. And what you guys, do you think there is? What do I think their best album yeah, is? Yeah. Self-titled. Self-titled. Okay. Um, but agree. but I mean, 
they've got an impressive catalog for me to, you know, like. So maybe not their best, but their most important. Well, is that fair? Like, yeah. So here, okay. One thing that I was gonna say for myself personally, and I think that it, I think that it affected all of these other bands that we're talking about, like the bands that came after. I, I personally have insight into you guys and myself, right? That I think that this record changed. Like I remember our bands at this time, and it and everyone was okay with sounding like Dude Ranch. Exactly. And then this was the new bar. Yeah. Hey, mm-hmm. we we need to sound good. And like I I specifically remember our bands, like our first EPs, and then after that it was like I mean I know that you guys remember what I had and then me be me going to a real studio and playing to a click and having a producer help me and having the cymbals horizontal. That's really all you had to do to get that drum sound. And I distinctly remember you guys doing the same. It was like, Hey, we got to get serious about this. Like it's got to sound good. And that, that was kind of what I was getting at that I was about punk rock records before then, like being kind of crappy at your instrument was was fine. It was almost better right like it was part of the yeah. scene it was, punk was rock. like you didn't you weren't that like uh you know, i don't care how it sounds yeah one of the big bands that i listened to up to that point was mxpx and um you know, they they sound they they were good but you would never say that like they were incredible tight musicians you know it, 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 it elevated band, the scene right but even their record after this one totally was you know they these yeah. guys changed well, yeah, and to be fair, it's because all of a sudden people are like, oh, we can sell yep. copies of this record, oh, right. which yep. means we That's can give true. them higher budgets, which means they That's can, you know, and That's so they true. can do that. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that that's probably right. I would say that I think Self-Titles, their best album, but this one's obviously the most important, I would say. It's just would, nothing, there's want, so much that doesn't happen after it. Well, I wonder how many bands' careers that you could point to where you've got an album like Buddha. And Cheshire Cat, <laughs> and then Dude Ranch. Yeah, uh, this is. I think this is technically their third full length album, right? Wasn't it one of those? Mm, is Cheshire Cat full? I think it's their fourth. Is it technically? Yeah, their fourth? I think Cheshire okay. Cat's full length. Yeah. Well, anyway, the point being, like that. There's, <laughs> I mean, the, the the. There's a big steep yeah, climb. Yeah, it's there. Complete, it's a completely different yeah. band, you know. Steep climb. Um. Yeah. Well, I think that does it for this episode. If you have. Comments? You think we're wrong? You want if to you argue think Scott with us? Did in fact play a mutt? Yeah, you're I would, wrong. I would you're love, wrong. Don't tweet us. I would love for someone to find the like documentation about whether Scott was playing drums or Mark Trombino was producing because that mystery we still don't have solved. So that'd if be great. It is Scott. It's literally the best three minutes of drumming in his entire. Career. I should have tweeted. I should have tweeted Scott. He'd probably write me back. Um, oh, why we crap on him? Basically, <laughs> talking about how he could never be that good. You might be right. <laughs> you guys are right. I do suck that much. Hey Scott, we were talking about your legacy of suck. Oh my! Could God. you please chime in? In all fairness, I play the drums and I couldn't play. Right, that's my point. Is that like yeah, a lot of people like, suck yeah, compared, compared, to, to, Travis suck compared to Travis Barker? Yeah. All right, well, that does it for this episode. You can email your comments to info at Finding Emo Pod, or you can tweet us at Finding Emo Pod, and be sure and subscribe so that we don't get assassinated and killed. Oh, wait, it's only we just have to ask you to subscribe, but yeah. whatever. Um, and then uh, you can also rate us if you like it. That'd be great. All right, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>